ultimately, we just created a brand that we would drink. And I think that's quite lucky. Like, if you look at it, we were just two 25-year-old people that were, like, interested in a new category and just, just came up with something that we thought we would consume. And I think that, I think, is a big differentiator when you are your own target market. Welcome to the Small Talk podcast, brought to you by Small World, the agency that builds scale-up brands. I'm Dan. I'm Harvey. Right, I can't wait for everybody to listen to this episode of the podcast. We had Jack Verica and Tom Bishop on, the founders of El Rayo Tequila. El Rayo are trying to challenge what we all think about tequila. They want discerning drinkers to see it as their first drink of the night rather than the last. And to top that off, they have a fantastic brand rooted in the real Mexico, which has seen festivals and stores alike clamoring to stock them this summer. Firstly, we'd like to just start with sort of individual stories. What was your sort of background, both as kind of, as sort of friends, obviously started out as friends before sort of business partners? Yeah, sure. So, well, it's quite entwined, to be honest with you. So me and Jack have actually known each other since we were sort of three or four years old. Amazing. Best mates, brothers. Jack was best man at my wedding just recently. No um, way. So yeah, we met when we were sort of three or four, grew up together, drank our first beers together, did all the stupid stuff you do and you yeah, grow yeah, up yeah. for the first time together. I think both of us had a bit of an entrepreneurial itch that we wanted to scratch and being honest with you it could have been tequila it could have been something else I think we got interested and and started understanding about tequila at a similar sort of time so there's probably a bit of a timing element to it Mm. the rest as they say is history Mm. we grew up in the fens of Lincolnshire uh, (laughs) together and yeah I suppose my background was a bit of a sort of tale of two halves I think when I was at school when I was younger I was like really into art and design I was quite creative did a lot of that stuff and then I was kind of pushed into doing economics at university by my family, <laughs> uh, expecting me to get you know, a, a job in finance or yeah. a lawyer, you know, one of yeah, those classic, classic professions. And so I kind of, kind of completely switched on my head to doing a very kind of, um, you know, numbers related degree. And it's kind of led me to, to yeah, now having sort of, I suppose, both of those interests. So like mm. I still am really into creativity and art and design, but I also have quite a kind of numerical and analytical brain. It's actually, in hindsight, from a business is quite yeah, useful. Yeah, good business partner. <laughs> Sometimes. So it, <laughs> so it kind of helps. Um, and then, yeah, I, I I did that at uni and then uh, I I, I um, didn't want a job in finance. So I thought I'd, I'd try and get involved in the world of tech. And so I got a job for an e-commerce kind of SaaS business. Really enjoyed it. Was there for like five years. Great people, great company. Learned lots. And I was saying this yesterday, actually, like really glad... I personally, probably we had that like professional foundation, like people, I think, jump into businesses straight away yes. out of uni, which is quite admirable. But you don't yeah. learn how to like how to send an email, yes. how to structure your calendar, like yeah. how to actually like, you know, engage in a professional manner. And that's not something you can probably teach yourself very easily. So it kind of gave us that foundation. And, you know, you, you work five years, someone you think you kind of know a bit what you're doing. As Tom said, we've always known we wanted to start a business. And if it wasn't going to be tequila, it was going to be something else. You know, we, we were having conversations. In, in dark corners of pubs about about businesses and 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 uh, and kind of what's interesting and what opportunities are out there. Had you said at that time to us, you're going to end up starting a tequila brand, we would have said you're you're crazy. Like that's definitely not what we're going to do. Like we we weren't ever thinking of drinks. We weren't ever thinking of tequila because previously we had drunk and you know I say enjoyed tequila like everyone else had, which was like lime and salt and shots and that one mm. with the sombrero on. Yeah. Generally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the classic sombrero. Yeah, exactly. So um, it, it was a completely new kind of world to us. Um, but yeah, so it was kind of kind of the kind of perfect storm of timing. Like we'd really want to start our own business. We kind of were interested in this new, exciting category that we felt was kind of ripe for doing something different. And so yeah. Just out of interest, what were um, some of the the failed business ideas in those dark corners of the pub? I had 
<laughs> the car rental market. It really. Right. It re- am I, are we allowed to swear? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It really fucks me off. That, <laughs> it really fucks me off that the, the first thing you do when you go on holidays, you queue for an hour. To yeah. a car rental yeah, thing, and when you've got something like Zipcar now, yeah, yeah, why can't you just be posted or just do it on your phone? And yeah, just go to a. Turo is pretty good. I used that recently on, on a holiday. I went on. Okay, nice. Yeah. So someone's done it. Yeah, yeah. Sponsors the podcast. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty glad we're sitting here not discussing a car rental business. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, slightly less sexy. So I was staring out the window yeah, thinking there must be another way so I started a car at the cars on yeah. the road <laughs> brilliant and is there anything that you'd say because I one of the I guess uh, we're really into sort of challenger brand theory at, at small worlds and I guess um, one of the great things about challenges at least are that they come from usually completely different categories so just like you guys did um, coming into tequila so if you look at like the founder of Ikea for instance um, and even like Jeff Bezos when he started Amazon they don't typically have experience in the thing that they're starting but they bring a lot of category insight from a different category they used to work into that category is there anything that you guys i guess with e-commerce in particular you know like i said before lots of alcohol brands typically weren't d to c and now there are lots of brands that are going d to c is there anything that you've learned or taken and brought to what you do now from yeah i think think the obvious one is the e-commerce side of things as i said i worked in kind of e-commerce for for digital marketing for sort of five years and yeah this is even before the pandemic like we saw the opportunity for a spirits brands to disrupt and using online to do that even before we launched we had invested a lot in our website and our digital marketing channels and our email marketing and our in our kind of paid media equally Um, sort of same side of the coin do you think there's a sort of naivety that helps as well definitely yeah that's it that's a hugely important part um to start with and not really having any baggage Mm. i guess and when I look back, so the best decisions me and Jack have ever made is because we just sat in a room and decided that this was the best idea. Yeah. And yeah. potentially if we'd worked at a big drinks brand, we might not have been thinking in that way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's similar with any sort of brand that's trying to challenge the status quo. But Yeah, have a bit of that naive, that intelligent naivety, as yeah. you call it. I like always quest- question the decisions you're making. Because you're right, there's a blueprint of how you do things at Diageo, right? So mm-hmm. when you start that brand, it's okay, let's look at the category and consumer insights that everybody has within our category and follow those, which means that you miss out on the opportunities like going to Mexico and using a brand design agency. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, and I think we were lucky, like Jack touched on it there, that brands were becoming a much more important part of consumers' lives. And we sort of between the ages of 18 and 24, we were marketed to in a way that Mm. we just understood from the consumer perspective because we'd been, beer brands had been doing it to us or gym brands or whoever. Um, Mm. And so... I think our understanding of some outside of the tequila industry and outside of the spirits industry and what was being done and being able to translate that and package that and bring it into into tequila was was pretty invaluable as well. Yeah, and I, th- I think again, you know, you can get you can get tied up in like you know the, the strategy behind it and like all these sorts of things, but ultimately we just created a brand that we would drink. And I think that's quite lucky. Like, if you look at it, we were just two 25-year-old people that were, like, interested in a new category and just just came up with something that we thought we would consume. And I think that, I think, is a big differentiator when you are your own target market. It's way easier to understand what what they want, how to market to them, what's going to kind of tick, versus, as you said, other, you know, brands or companies trying to strategize in boardrooms and workshops and insight and data and that sort of stuff. And I think that's where you kind of see the difference between the the different approaches we just made a brand that we would want to drink and it's pretty simple when you yeah. look at it like that no, it is. Yeah. and you can kind of see that from the brand which which is nice it's nice when brands you're like oh I set up by two guys who just like a bit of tequila mm. right rather <laughs> than like loads of bloody people sitting around in a stuffy suit doing a focus group and you're like what are they getting yeah. out of here we were just two guys interested in something new 
as you do, you go out, start drinking more of it, speaking to bartenders about it, understanding which brands are out there, which ones you like. And the more we went along, the more we felt quite disillusioned as two new young guys interested, excited to try this new drink. There was nothing from a brand or from a surf perspective that was doing as much as it could to really attract us and excite us. And I think from the brand side of things, and we'll get into it in a bit more detail, I guess, but it just felt like there was a lot of these lazy, dated stereotypes on what Mexico is and what Mexican identity is that just don't really add up anymore. And they're not a very fair reflection on what the country is today. And I think that modern consumers have changed immeasurably in the last sort of five to 10 years and the tequila category just really hadn't caught up with it. So that was from the brand side. We were like, wow, there's a really exciting opportunity to do something different. To be honest with you, not even do something that's that difficult. We've just got to shine a spotlight on all the amazing stuff that's going on in Mexico at the moment mm. and obviously be a bit sensitive to what's going on out there. Mm. And then from a surf perspective, yeah, you've got shots at one in the spectrum, which do have their place, let's all be honest. The other end of the spectrum, there's this sort of sipping culture, which is how you should enjoy a neat spirit to really understand it. But for a lot of people, it's quite intimidating. Yeah. And I think for us, we were new consumers to the category. We wanted to create a drink that made sense in the environments that we actually drink. Like, I don't necessarily go to the Michelin star restaurants in London and the swanky hotels. I go to the local pub with my mates yeah. or a local restaurant that I like, yeah. or I have my mates over for dinner. And in those sorts of environments, there wasn't a really sort of easy, quick way to make tequila and to enjoy tequila and, and the flavor of tequila. And we were explaining that to a bartender in Notting Hill. Yeah, a trailer of happiness, actually. Weirdly one, a rumble, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's bizarre to hear you mention it because I'm, I'm from West London. Nice. And you never hear anybody ever go there. Or yeah. it's, a great, it's a great little bar, actually. And Raza, who is now the queen pin at Home Bar, if you know that, she has quite a big part to play in the story. So she was the one, we are explaining this dilemma that we had. She said, have you ever tried tequila and tonic before? And we were like, no. And to be honest with you, it sounds a bit weird. She was like, look, just trust me. It's kind of a dirty little secret. Bartenders drink it behind the bar on their shift. Just give it a go. So we're like, okay, yeah, let's give it a go. Tried it and it just connected all the dots. It was really long, really light, really refreshing. It A big message for us as a brand is, is to communicate the sort of natural product story of tequila. This is a product that's made from a plant that grows in the ground for eight years before it's harvested and actually understanding all of the flavours and, and what that process does to the uh, to the drink that you're drinking. And we felt in tequila and tonic and in long drinks in general, that was a great way of doing it. So that foolishly, that night was probably the moment we decided that it was time to quit our jobs and head out to Mexico. Wow. Brilliant. <laughs> it's such a good story. It's it such is. a good story. Yeah. It's kind of like every best mate's like dream story. Well, yeah, like, let's a... be real. Like, everyone's had those like drunken eyes. Like, we should do that, man. Wake li- up in the morning like, oh. Literally, we are probably the example of that stupid, really drunk conversation that you yeah. think you can do, actually. No, but Ray is so highly. Like every every buddy uh, comedy then. Yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> and then it works. We got um, drunk one night and we said we just need to disrupt the rental car market. <laughs> 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 Looking out the window. What was what was your business idea there, Jack? Let's <laughs> <laughs> so pick up on there. But the main thing I wanted to ask you about was that the perception of Mexico, the sort of ingrained perception, and then the perception you're trying to kind of move towards. But obviously, we're not Mexican, as you can tell, and mm. you're probably here. We went to Mexico quite quite a lot when we were setting up the brand, and 
actually, it was Tom who found, was just looking on Instagram for just like, you know, uh, inspiring designers or artists or whatever. And he found a guy called Mario Ballesteros, who was based in Guadalajara, which is the kind of capital of the tequila producing region. And he's a contemporary artist that kind of lives and works there. And he was just putting out some really cool stuff on Instagram. And Tom was just like, found him and messaged him and, and just kind of said, well, we're, we're coming to Guadalajara for the first time. We kind of got this idea for tequila brand. We'd love to meet up and just chat to you about it because we just wanted to get some like, you know, some not, you know, insider knowledge, but actually someone who is, you know, creative that's living in the region because I'm sure they have have an opinion on it. And so, yeah, he actually runs a small design studio that's, that's based there as well called Toro Pinto. And yeah, he it kind of just similar to the tequila, really. It, it, we had all these preconceptions about what Mexico was going to be, which was sombreros and cactuses and cowboys and mustaches and mariachi bands and Tex-Mex and all that sort of shit. But actually what greets you is like so different to that. It's like incredibly vibrant, like cultural, like amazing creativity that's going on. The architecture is insane. Like Louis Barragan was like the founding father of this kind of modernist style. And, and he was a massive inspiration. You can kind of see if you look at Louis Barragan's architecture, you can see big, big kind of parallels between uh, our brand and, and, and his architecture. Since kind of meeting Mario, we've gone on to meet more people in, in the kind of contemporary culture in, in Mexico. And there's just so much amazing stuff going on. And we kind of want to just like, just be the door into that world for people. As I said, we're not, we're not trying to say that, that we are them and, and that we come from there, but it's such an incredible culture that we felt that was like an amazing thing to use our brand to showcase. Some of the incredible sort of artists and makers that you meet are using techniques that have been passed down for like hundreds of years and they're just take, doing their little spin on it and that was always a bit of a um, challenge for us I guess as a brand is that this is an extremely iconic product for Mexico it's, such, it's wrapped around their culture it's got so much history behind it yes we want to take it in a slightly new direction but there's also a bit of sensitivity you've got to have around that that history and that story that it's got yeah, I mean, talk. how's that kind of counterbalance, right? Because you're right, you want to sort of respect Mexican heritage, but then obviously you've got sort of a UK market. So then how do you, yeah, how do you kind of balance balance those two things without alienating? Because you obviously want to really respect the traditions of how it's kind of drunk in Mexico, but then equally apply it to a UK market that is looking for a slightly different way to sort yeah, of drink it. you're creating a new server. Right? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's actually probably less related to the drink, I'd say, because, you know, tequila and tonic is drunk in Mexico, but it's not like, it's not like yeah. this, this is this is the thing that we're showing the world around the drink. It's more around the mm. art, the mm. culture, the creativity, mm. that, all that stuff that's going on. And yeah, because of that, as I said, we've met other people, other artists. And so every year we partner with a different contemporary Mexican artists to showcase their art and we do some limited edition prints we've done murals across the world in Mexico and so yeah I'd say it's probably less related to like what we're trying to do in yeah. terms of the drink because that's a, that you know that that is that is more for I suppose the European consumer where yeah. you know, gin and tonic is a much bigger drink over yeah. here yeah. it is not too far of a jump for people to think in a gin and tonic to tequila and tonic so it's less probably around you know the Mexicans are drinking tequila and tonic we want to show that to the world it's more you know there's incredible you know vibrancy and creativity that's going on in Mexico we feel that through our brand we can be a kind of spotlight to that and so what, what a great opportunity to kind of uh, to do that yeah so we'll touch on the kind of partnerships and you know ways of I guess building the brand through doing things rather than saying things because I think that's super interesting the way that you guys do that in particular sort of designers and artists limited edition prints limited edition versions of the product etc um, but yeah I think one of, one of the most interesting things for me that I guess when again you're looking at Okay, how we, who is this brand for essentially? So there's a great brand called Planet Fitness who 
basically created a, a gym that was for people who didn't like going to the gym. They said, what if we designed a gym that's for people who don't like going to the gym? Because there's such a massive market of people out there that you would never think to reach because they're just a little bit lazy or just a bit self-conscious or whatever that might be. So if we can create a product or service that taps into them, there's basically an, a, an unlimited market that is basically has no one marketing to them. I think what you guys have done is slightly similar, just in, I, I think this, I was reading about some of the stuff that you guys um, were saying about the brand and this idea of tequila that gets people drinking tequila. There's a whole host of people who've just never, never considered or never thought. And if you were in a, again, in like a Diageo boardroom looking at who's our target market, you'd never consider this, this person who just doesn't like tequila, right? Um, and the reason they don't like tequila is because of all those things, perceptions that you've talked about before. Um, so yeah, I'm slightly interested in how you guys, and I know you probably haven't done any like insane consumer mapping and neither do you need to do. But when you think of this this type of person you're trying to sell tequila to, who do you think about? It is something that guides us a lot. I think it's been interesting actually, in hindsight, I can say now that building the brand that we have has enabled us to, to find a consumer that just wasn't drinking tequila before. And I think we know that. So we know on our DTC and on our Amazon, 50% of consumers have never bought a bottle of tequila before. So if we can scale that number, even if it goes down to like 20 or 30%, like that's that's incredible. Yeah. And I think we're also quite female-led. So it's 70, around 70% female. And I don't think we were out there trying to set up a feminine tequila brand because it mm. would have been... A, quite disingenuine I think the serve the brand trying to tap into some sort of more modern values and build a brand that modern consumers actually really care about has enabled us to attract that, that person not obviously not just women and men as well but attract a, a new type of tequila, tequila consumer and I think focusing our efforts from a marketing and branding perspective on that 50% of people who who are coming to it for the first time is is really important and like tiny little things like when you think about how you communicate flavor and you can get lost in all this like lemongrass and so many big words but actually you just need to give people like three snappy like fresh pepper you don't want to be intimidated by all these like massive words about flavor. You actually just want a, a really clear understanding of what is it yeah. that I'm going to taste. We're just focusing on that new to category consumer and and essentially trying to get people to just go on the same journey that me and Jack did. I think mm -hmm. that hopefully comes through that there's a realness. We're just saying like, look, trust us. We were in your position, but yeah. there is a, a, a way out of it. There is a there is um yeah another way to drink and think tequila. You kind of have two different types of people. Mainly, most of people you say the word tequila, and I was like, "Oh, I hate tequila." Everyone's had that night out, or has had that bad experience, and it's such a memorable experience in such a bad way that people are like it's a very big hurdle to overcome. <laughs> but but the, the 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 good news is, is because like when so we we you know lots of events and stuff, and people come up to us and they like you know they literally wretch us, and you're like, "Well, that's our business. Thanks very much." <laughs> but and we're like, "Promise you, just try this, yeah. and like you know, it'll be it'll be very different to what you've had before." And they try the tequila and tonic, and then and up buying a bottle and just that is like so powerful and it's such a such an uh, you know it, 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 it's such a, a change in people's perception of things and it's probably quite memorable for that consumer so I think that's why it's, it's so important to get as many people trying it as possible because yes you know tequila is growing there 
has interest in the category, but it's you know still the majority of the people in the UK and I'd say probably Europe, you know, think of tequila as that late night you know petrol tasting shot that you have, um, and then blame your hangover on the next day. So it's a bit of an uphill battle. But you know the, the fact that we can change people's minds with one sip of our kind of of an El Rio and tonic is, as I said, quite quite an exciting prospect. What are some of the ways that you're trying to communicate to consumers, both through the brand, but also probably through some you know more functional you know messaging and, and and sort of channels maybe across performance marketing and website in trying to change people's perception of this is a drink that you would have in the same way you would a and t and not a shot that you would have in the same way you know a sambuca for instance yeah i think you kind of touched on it but like a kind of strap line of ours that really hits with consumers is turning tequila into your first drink not your last like it really kind of resonates with exactly what we're trying to do we're trying to move everyone people the category you know but the perception of of a category from that shot to like an you know first drink of the night delicious refreshing aperitif and i think simplicity is so key for us as well like we are pretty single-minded in our approach to quite a lot of things be that the products you know the 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 way in which we drink it the way in which we talk about it and yeah like we, we want people to understand that it's a very easy drink to make there's not intimidating you don't need loads of ingredients that you can't find we want all of the ingredients that you can use to make our way of drinks we want you to buy them from like the local tesco's or whatever and we, we've just launched some some new kind of exciting new long drinks and and, the, and it was the same with that we wanted to make them as accessible and as approachable as possible because even with cocktail making people are starting to do it and obviously through lockdown did it lots but you see these cocktails that are like crazy ingredients like you know spices and you have to have shakers and loads of these these stuff we, we just want to make it as simple as possible for people to make easy, refreshing, delicious tequila drinks at home. Yeah, I would probably add that there's that occasion is a really difficult thing to to get right, and I actually don't really think, being totally honest with you, that we've cracked it yet. And actually, getting people to really understand where and when, and showing them the right imagery and communicating the right message. But I would say that there's a probably a slowness to to the way in which we're trying to get people to enjoy tequila that's completely different to what traditional tequila occasion would be which would be quite sort of macho and intense and so trying to bring it into maybe a slightly more introspective you just shut your laptop at the end of the day no one else is around you're making yourself a drink you're going to put some music on and just chill out i mean yeah i was even looking on your yeah youtube when you've got one of those sort of cocktails and it's so easy yeah it's literally yeah you're yeah you did grapefruit with the ice and it looks excellent. Yeah. And it's still quite an impressive drink to serve your mates when they come around, you're like. You touched on it about the tonic. And obviously the sort of gin and tonic is kind of very much penetrated kind of common culture. It's kind of in flea bag. And you know, I think it's nicknamed the sort of fever tree factor. That fever tree have really sort of pushed how sort of delicious tonics are. And if you're gonna what if three quarters of your drink is a tonic, then you know, you might as well get a nice tonic. Would you say that that sort of tonic focus is really sort of important for you guys in sort of establishing sort of partnerships, but also sort of yeah, working sort of in collaboration with them? Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think, yeah, we're all trying to do the same thing, get get consumers to drink our drinks. And yeah, having a range of partners, tonic partners, seltzer partners is really important. I think from their perspective as well, I think they're trying to differentiate away from gin as well and show not just with tequila, but that rum or whiskey, there there are other highballs out there with, with, with other spirits. I think we probably come along at quite a good time in that regard. There are also some brands that are specifically making mixes for spirits. So Seckford would be an example. Gin paved the way for just this sort of spirits and highball movement that we're seeing in tequila, but also across other categories. I think rum and particularly whiskey, we're trying to sort of 
make whiskey a little bit younger, a bit more accessible, they're definitely going after it as well. Yeah, not seeing this competition, but seeing it as a chance to all grow the category and then each get a bigger piece of the pie rather than stealing each other's pie, I guess. Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> kind of jumping about, around a little bit, but I know we talked about a fair few brands across this. I wonder if there are any, are there any brands that you guys really took inspiration from either then but also now that you look at for a particular thing that they do, either the, you know, the packaging design that they have or the way that they communicate with their consumers or, you know, any any little thing about, you know, even the brand origin story. Are there any brands that you constantly look to and are sort of inspired by? Yeah, I think I think it's it's probably changed a bit in terms of how our business has changed. So, yeah, when we first started, it was like we were very, very direct to consumer and e-commerce focused. Every, all of our business was based online. So it was, a, what are the brands doing the best content, you know, the, the best social, the best email, the best digital marketing? I think for us, a lot of the, probably a lot of the inspiration came from the US. Like the US t- tends to be, you know, sl- slightly more developed in terms of their brand. And, and I think when it comes to drinks, like uh, the brand Recess was like awesome, like that amazing kind palette awesome graphics like and yeah we, we often look to them for like you know this is this is really a brand that's pushing that like that, that level of creative work and, and it's, it's slightly similar kind of color palettes to us and so I think they were definitely inspiration from from when we started and I think now the business has moved and there is obviously a lot of stuff going offline and we do lots of events and marketing in bars and restaurants that sort of stuff and you know th- th- they are you know have uh, been around for a while but Aperol is the best in the world at you know making their brand sing across different touch points and you, if you see that they've just launched their kind of piazza in Covent Garden it's that unbelievable cool. exactly yeah it's so amazing. they are like yeah absolutely nail it and I think that's what we're, we're, we're trying to get to now is we've lived so much online but there's so much like untapped potential offline it's how do we bring the magic of the array of brand that we've created on a digital space to a physical space which actually is a pretty fucking difficult brief and it's actually an, um, we're only sort of scratching the surface of it but I think there's amazing potential to do that it's just gonna it's gonna kind of take a bit of a kind of magic formula to sort of make sure that we're as recognisable when we're on the shelf in store when we're in a bar when we're taking over terrace as we are when we're on Amazon or on our website or on our emails so for me it was probably most interesting to look completely outside of the drinks category and I think brand that I would call out would be Glossier and actually, which might sound strange, but around sort of community building, we're trying to build a club. It's like a new secret thing, the tequila and tonic club, whatever. And I think a lot of the beauty brands do community in such an interesting way and create such incredible loyalty among their consumers. So I think they would be one that I would call out. They're obviously a massive brand now, but when we were first setting up, they were probably a bit younger and still sort of challenging and pushing boundaries 100 percent. yeah it's funny that you mentioned makeup brands whenever i do those kind of sessions with cedars that's one of the examples we show of a category that had all of the same conventions and it was quite exclusive and it was quite actually um like stepford wivesy in, in the way that it just you know pristine models and yeah no sense community and then there's been this massive explosion of brands like fenty brands like uh, fenty beauty with rihanna brands like glossier even brands like mac who started to break um traditions and you know have figureheads like rupaul um in in some of their their uh creative and their advertising and yeah building a real sense of community and like small niches of communities um around the brands so yeah I don't think it's that weird of an example, basically. I think it's a good example. Again, just sort of continuing on the track that we were talking about, I think it'd be great to sort of understand less about the brand, but what your biggest challenge internally at the moment is. So, you know, is it supply chain? Is it brand building? Is it marketing? I guess you just touched on the idea of bringing the brand uh, into 
the real world now that you've been you know in in online for so long what's at the moment what's the you know it doesn't have to be a negative challenge it could be you know an exciting yeah. challenge but I, what's yeah i think from my perspective um it would be consistency with the brand um which is something that we're working on at the moment i just think like we went down a very sort of different path we used an agency out in mexico we didn't use a big boy where you've got brand guidelines brand but we've just kind of been not winging it but <laughs> just yeah. like relying on a bit of an innate understanding and people within the team who've who've come in and and built a great understanding of what the brand is um so actually now we are starting to get slightly bigger and you do start needing to put some sort of rules and stuff in place and making sure that every single time we show up it is feels like the same brand to the consumer and then when we look to go into different territories and stuff like that, it's it's really clear and easy for a distributor to know how we would set up an activation on a terrace, yeah. Um, which is very sort of internal uh, bread and butter stuff that you need that's not the most sexy, exciting work in the world, but is really, really important. What would you say are the keys to having a successful, both FMCG business, but more specifically alcoholic or al alcohol beverage business, particularly the fact that you're trying to build it as kind of a, a D2C brand first and foremost, but now also adding in physical elements. What What is the kind of uh, thing that you need to recognise when you're building that kind of business for anybody who's trying yeah, to Yeah, so it? I think we've spoken about it a lot, but ultimately I'd say... 80 to 90% of people buy El Rayo for how it looks. Like, it's a beautiful bottle. People want it on their shelves at home. People want to show off to their friends. Retailers want it on their shelves. Like, we get used in loads of, like, interior design shoots of people that like, want to style a home really styly. So, like, I think that's quite a good litmus test for, like, mm, El Rayo is a good bottle absolutely. that will look in their mm. things. And so that has just been, like, so crucial to our success. It's like we have managed to develop a, an incredibly unique and standout brand through the work that we did with, with Mario. And as I said, most people shop with their eyes. And so, Particularly it, with gifting. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And so, yeah, we're a big gifting product. Like 30% of our sales are normally sent to other people. So, like, people love to gift it as well. So, yeah, I think the, the most important, not the most, you know, probably, yeah, no, number one thing is to really nail the brand. And then number two, obviously, is how it tastes. Like, yes, we do have a really great brand but we also invested as much time as the brand as we did in the liquid so yeah we work with a, a maestro tequilero called oscar garcia who is essentially a kind of master of wine but in tequila <laughs> and he is only one of 220 people in the world like more people have been to the moon than have his qualification like he is the <laughs> godfather of all things agave and tequila um and so we work with him over a nine month period kind of choosing the right distillery refining the production process and making sure that the, the flavor and the taste was could stand out in the best cocktail bar in the world, but it could also stand out when you're at your mate's house for dinner. Like we, we wanted it to be as good as that, but also as versatile so that you could mix it with tonic, you can make cocktails with it, you could taste it on its own. And so, yeah, ultimately, if it looks fucking good and it tastes fucking good, I think you're kind of onto something. Yeah. Trial is so important, especially when it comes to serve and getting people to drink your drink and try tequila and tonic and some of the most valuable things that we've ever learned about the brand or how we talk or whatever has been at events speaking to people in real terms and so I would say like never losing sight of that like even just going out and 
selling into an account one afternoon, which is something that me and Jack did a lot at the start, but potentially don't really do that much mm. anymore. And just those little conversations that you have with bartenders or something that you might have said that they pick up yeah. on. It's really interesting that point you mentioned about when you when you go into sell, sell into an account or talking to the different people behind your brand that you don't really think about. So we work with a, a non-alcoholic spirit brand called Ferragaya. And uh, Jamie, the founder, when I was talking to him, one of the great insights he had was when we were coming up with copy or or the people that we were talking to said well actually one of the main people who we want to talk as or have the insight of or the point of view of is the bartender for instance because they're the one who actually they're kind of like this omnipotent person within the bar who sees all of the different things happening and all the different stories unraveling which was such an interesting uh, creative yeah ground I suppose to, to come up with ideas from and that all came from uh, him and his partner Bill sort of going around doing these events talking to bartenders looking at you know the bar from different types of perspectives of people within the bar rather than the person actually just having the drink it's the person who's actually serving it to them and you know, arguably one of the people that is one of their key stakeholders as well, because they need to convince them to get it into those bars. And it's the same thing that Oatly had when they kind of convinced baristas basically to, you know, use oat milk. Well, yeah, it's it's, it's a very different person. And again, something, you know, we're, we're probably not old enough to, to have the differentiation between the two. But as I said, selling to someone on Instagram to enjoy a barbecue with their mates versus selling to a bartender or or, or, or kind of a general manager of a pub. Yeah. It's a very different proposition. It's a very mm-hmm. different sales pitch. They want to know different things about the product. And yeah, I think what one of the things where we want to get to is having like three you know the holy trinity of things and and actually bartenders have about five to ten seconds with consumers so they want like one killer thing or, or two killer things that they can say about the brand uh to the consumer but also you know consumers at home want to say something completely different so i think it's you've got to differentiate yourself when you come to that and the best brands when it comes to actual bars and restaurants they create like a bar call you call it like aperol spritz it's mm. like you know gnt these sorts of things yeah. is like it's it just makes your brand so synonymous and, and it gets so you know ingrained with with kind of consumer habit so that's what we're kind of kind of trying to do with the TNT is kind of trying to make it like you know make it and it's a bit of a difficult one because Aperol Spritz has Aperol in it yeah but El Rayo and Tonic is slightly less punchy but mm, I, th- yeah. I don't think we're there yet with like you know we've tried like Rayo Tonic El Rayo and Tonic you know, Tequila mm. and Tonic TNT the TNT is by far and away the, like, the, yeah. the punchy El Rayo TNT yeah, yeah but it's it, that we yeah. haven't got there yet I don't know what that's going to be but I think yeah Aperol Spritz is the best yeah, example God. of that because they've nailed that haven't they yeah yeah yeah, no, they've done well. <laughs> yeah, they, you could say they've done well. No wonder they're one of your favourite brands. But no, I think the, the TNT, I guess it's, yeah, making it ownable to just your brand. But in terms of ownable to the category, it's everywhere and yeah. arguably feels more natural than GNT uh, yeah. when you hear it now. I've been itching to talk about this now for the whole uh, entire podcast. Um, we've obviously, nobody can actually see this, but we've got one of your lovely uh, bottles of tequila here. Unopened. Unopened. It is 9am as we uh, record this. Um, so we're not going to crack into it just yet. It would be great for you to talk a bit about the conscious decisions you made to stay away from those traditional Mexican crutches and some of your sort of favourite brand decisions when it came to the design of the bottle in particular um, and I suppose the the kind of packaging around it and uh, yeah. Yeah, so I think, and again, it's probably not something that we set out to do when we first launched the business, but it's it became quite um, clear to us that 
there is a big lifestyle element to what we're trying to do. And actually, probably what we're trying to do is is more to kind of build a lifestyle brand. And so, yeah, be that, you know, the, the, the products that we make, the people we partner with, um, the artist collaborations we do, like, yes, we are a tequila brand. And, and you know, we're ultimately, we want people drinking our tequila, but we want people wearing our T-shirts like Tom is wearing today. We want people putting our artwork on their walls. We want people downloading our you know things on their phone for us. We, but at the end of the day, yes, we want them to enjoy an El Rayo and Tonic. So I think using that as a sort of benchmark automatically means you're doing something very different to a, like a, just a, a traditional drinks brand. And I think, yeah, we, we make a lot of decisions based on trying to kind of build out the lifestyle element from the brand, from the content, from the partnerships, that sort of thing. Going back to the bottle, like we've created this, well, Mario's created this brand world that allows us to kind of, you know, uh, to, to, to do that and, and gives us a lot of kind of scope to draw people into this kind of magical kind of graphic illustration style world that Mario's created with like a cool Mexican color palette. And I think, again, that, that kind of, you know, gives us the foundation to allow us to build out lifestyle kind of products and brands, stuff and collaborations. On the um, label specifically, it's actually the us depicting or Mario depicting artistically the origin story of tequila, which is a really famous myth in Mexico about how tequila came to be. And actually that probably goes back to what we were saying a bit before. It was our way of a little nod to the heritage and and it is like an iconic product, but actually showing it in a slightly modern, slightly different way to sort of just appreciate both sides of the coin yeah yeah and annoyingly tom's brother bought him back the first bottle of tequila we bought my brother gave me for christmas in 2017 a book about tequila which had the origin story in it mm. so he claims that he came up with the name yeah. <laughs> so they, they both they both, think, they, they both think they're, they're heavily involved uh, <laughs> despite that they're not but yeah the name was probably one of the hardest things when we came up with the brand like we wanted it to be spanish we don't speak spanish <laughs> and so we spent, you, do, you know yeah. well yeah I, i'm obviously learning um, <laughs> but we were literally sat in like in Brixton kind of a um, kind of a hall on Google Translate for like two months being like this is just yeah <laughs> to be honest we can probably have Mario to thank for that as well because we I remember when we went to Mexico we brought five names out with us El Rayo being one of them and he said that there's only one name on that list that I could actually build yeah. a brand around yeah the others are <laughs> in hindsight, quite average names. <laughs> yeah, so it, if you speak Spanish like me, it's El Rayo, but if you don't, it's El Rayo. Uh, <laughs> so that's a South London way to say Exactly. So yeah, El Rayo means lightning bolt in Spanish. And so yeah, the story goes that there was a farmer that woke up in the middle of the night to a, a lightning storm and he saw a lightning bolt strike one of his agave plants and he went up to the plant and he saw that it was kind of on fire and it was kind of cooked and it was there's this nectar coming out and that's the first time they realised if you cook agave, you can make tequila. So that went on to be the first have a bottle of tequila so we kind of heard I read that story in this book and I remember I was in I was in an airport I think it was in like France or something and again I was just on Google Translate and I just typed typed in the lightning and it just came up with El Rayo and I was like that's pretty cool yeah. and I've mm. still actually got my first ever notebook from uh, from when I was doing when, when we were setting up and I, it's still the first time I, I wrote down El Rayo and then I've got a page of me just writing El Rayo and the Y the Y's got a lightning bolts next to it so you, and then from there <laughs> you can see the pages turn and, and the list gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and then we chose the name when, when Mario chose it so yeah brilliant this is, that's going to be up in some kind of museum at some point. <laughs> what are your plans for the brand in the near future, I suppose? Or what you, you kind of spoke about some of the exciting things you're doing, but what are, yeah, what, what are the things that are most exciting you that you're, you're working on at the moment? 
So yeah, I think uh, in the most immediate future, uh, as I said, like there's a big lifestyle element to the brand. So we're about to launch our kind of first range of, of merchandise. So as I said, Tom is, Tom is debuting that today. Um, <laughs> yeah, this, this is the, the, the first <laughs> That's about to ask I could get one. Part, <laughs> part of the press. So yeah, we've got some cool kind of merch coming out. As I said, it, it kind of made sense for, for, for us as a brand. Like as I said, we don't just want people drinking the drink. We want people um, wearing our clothes. We want people buying our artwork. Um, and then in in the sort of medium to long run, yeah, we're sort of working on some 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 uh, some new products. Like uh, as I said, one of our kind of I suppose one of our um, probably um, biggest successes has been quite single minded our approach. Like we only have two products. We basically only had one way of drinking them yeah. for the last three years. As I said, we started diversified that now, but we feel there's an opportunity to to sort of make make it slightly easier to, to to sort of drink those products. So we're looking at some sort of RTD products. We're also looking at some some other sort of variants of tequila. So so in, in the next couple of couple of well, probably you know next year we'll have some new products. Yeah. And um, from my perspective I'd say um push the brand even further so in collaborations so we've done some stuff with artists in Mexico um we actually worked with an artist to design this t-shirt as well we've got sponsoring secret garden party oh, I'm going to that as well you'll be able to drink skin and tonics yeah <laughs> lovely I'm going to be telling so I had these yeah. guys on my podcast <laughs> <actually. Your> poor <laughs> mates <laughs> so yeah we're doing that really excited about being there and then potentially next year and beyond some brand owned experiential stuff would be quite cool um would love to do that next year we usually like to end with a few recommendations podcast book person to follow podcasts i would call out building liquid which is rachel vaughan jones which we've also been on really awesome set of people that she talks to food and drink founders I would go a bit more left field than that. <laughs> I would say there's one on BBC called The Bomb, which was basically okay. around uh, the, the kind of birth of nuclear fission and how that moved into like, you know, nuclear bombs, essentially, which is a little bit dark. Book-wise, I would say Do Purpose by David Hyatt, which has been quite a big inspiration for me and for us. And Hyatt Denim generally as a brand are awesome. Yeah. Um, and it's a really easy read. It's to take about an hour. Um, but just some really, really uh, useful lessons and actually quite a good one to come back to every now and again. There's a book called The Four by Scott Galloway. Yeah, great book. Uh, which was amazing. And yeah, we, we, it was actually sent to us by someone. Um, and, you know, this was when we were doing lots of stuff on with Facebook. And he was like, if, you, if you're going to try and build the brand on Facebook and Amazon, you have to build this book. And like the concept of it is sounds quite dull. It's like you know, you know, the Amazon, Facebook, Google, and I can't remember the other one. But it's the kind of four big tech companies. <laughs> yeah, Apple. just and that it, small it, brand. It kind of it kind of gets into the to the skin about why they are successful. And yeah, it, 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 it's it, it's an amazing read. Um, so I'd, I'd recommend it. It's good. Yeah, Scott Galloway is, is is the G when it comes to yeah. building brand. Not a big um, fan of Elon I'm, Musk though. <laughs> nah, or cryptocurrencies or anything really new. But uh, he's a good guy. And person to follow for a bit of silliness, I would say Mark Rebier. Yeah, he's, like a, he's great. He's in the new Fitbit ads. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. When I saw him, that, I was like, wow, he's made awesome, it. Yeah. A brilliant advert. Yeah. Um, he got me through lockdown in quite a big way, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So him, and then also just actually on Monday found a cool motion graphics artist called Andreas Wannerstedt, who's quite good. Quite a nice way to start the week, quite sort of calming. Actually quite similar to those like calm ads that you get on Instagram. Yeah. Lots of that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I go for a guy called Martin Harbeck, who is on LinkedIn. He's a director at Meta, obviously Facebook, and he's like a big futurist. He posts about a lot of interesting things about the future of technology, the future of climate, interesting things that are going on and how technology can help 
the kind of the, with the globe evolve and, and kind of battle some of the crises that we're facing. So yeah, really interesting. Cool. And then literally, finally, who should we have on next? Ideally, a sort of brand owner that you know and respect, but it doesn't have to be. So I would go for one of the uh, one of the, the 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 biggest kind of helps we've had uh, setting out the brand is just yeah speaking to other people in the industry. Like we, essentially, we've essentially built the brand through just meeting people and and getting help from them. One of the main brands that have helped us is a brand called Duppy Share Rum, and that's run by a guy called uh, George and Jack. So I'd say Jack from Duppy Share has been a massive source of help for our sounding board. Like, and he, he's an incredibly uh, interesting guy as well. So I'd, I'd say Jack from Duppy Share. One hundred percent. And on along a similar line, one of my best mates uh, set up a company called Dash. Yep. No so Dash. Alex, right? Yeah. Brilliant. Well, we'll be in touch to try and coerce them to come and have this bottle of El Rio with us maybe later, <laughs> later in the afternoon. I've been Dan. I've been Harvey. If you like the podcast, please share it on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or even just with a mate. If you or anyone you know runs a brand that you think would be perfect for small talk, then get them to hit us up on hello at smallworld.marketing. We're Small World, and this was Small Talk. Small Talk.